Bodies by the Numbers is a horror podcast. We sometimes cover mature content and often deliver spoilers. Viewer discretion is advised. It's a nothing movie. It's a it's a meh movie. It's a it's an it's alright. Alright, so we got that figured out. Also, the fact that like let's not dive too much okay. into our feelings yet. Oh, we haven't even set the intro yet. Oh fuck, we haven't. No, we haven't. Oh. I always throw it on you last second because it's kind of entertaining. Thanks, Andrew. Welcome to Bodies by the Numbers, a horror <laughs> podcast where we keep track of how we die in horror media. I'm your host, Dander Mack, and this is my co-host. Grizzly. And today we uh, watched Children of the Corn, the 1984, <sighs> directed by Fritz Kirsch, written by George Goldsmith, originally adapted from Stephen King. So, uh, you know, when you're in the King's house, it's going to be a kind of a weird... This is a little... Out there. Yeah, I... Like, okay, the thing is, it's not that I don't find cornfields terrifying or that I don't feel children terrifying. And you'd think mixing those things together would be even more terrifying. But it didn't. The movie falls flat where it should succeed. Yeah, exactly. And, like, uh, since we're kind of diving into our feelings check, like, I think this could be a good movie i think they should have stayed more faithful to the short story Mm. where the couple was like on the brink of divorce oh really during their road trip and like kind of antagonizing each other Mm. and i believe it is um vicky who gets sacrificed oh she doesn't live so there are some like big changes from the like again this was a short story yeah and i feel like king usually succeeds in his short stories you'll see with um the mist later on this year because that was another one of his short stories and like it it's frustrating to see like it done wrong yeah when you you have examples of it being done right and this was just done so poorly and again i I mean, I don't... Have you ever lived in the Midwest? I have not. I have lived in the Midwest. And legitimately, cornfields are terrifying. Like, Andrew did the math. Corn grows taller than any person can grow. And it's like, when you have these just, like, endless fields of corn, and you walk far enough into one, like, uh, I hope you brought your phone and a compass, because you're fucking lost. Well, I wouldn't even say I did the math on this. It's just, like... Your average person isn't going to be taller than a stalk of corn. Yeah. And it's just, and also the way that, like, the way it moves, the way it sounds, especially at night, pretty fucking creepy. Also, children, terrifying. So you'd think mixing corn and children would make for a scary movie. This movie did not jump scare me once, I'm pretty sure. I jump scared you, but... 
I would. I did it kind of cheaply. Yeah, like Ender jump scared me. I don't know if we can give the movie credit, and like, I feel like we all know. I'm I'm on a hair trigger. All right, old ladies managed to jump scare me, and this movie didn't. So, eh, for a scary movie, it's not that scary. Yeah, scary concepts, not movie. Exactly. I mean... Let's dive into the plot summary and really rip this movie a new one. All right, well, uh, where it begins is kind of just uh, the camera panning over like an old farm. Title kind of like comes through and so does the fact that this is in Gatlin, Nebraska. One thing that kind of threw me off is that we kind of like the camera pauses in front of a church. That's, I think, the Grace Baptist... Wait, Grace of Baptism or something like that church? Yeah. I can't remember exactly, but I had my name in it. That threw me out for a little bit. And then also kind of just next to um, the church is this kind of like signboard that says Corn Drought and the Lord. A little odd. I don't know who understood that, but someone did. And then we are get introduced to kind of like our main character, Joby. Um, who takes over the narration for this film. Also, a problem with having so many kids in your film is having so many child actors in your film. Oh, yeah. No, you can see, like, these are clearly child actors and not, like, your modern child actor where they're groomed into acting. Yeah. No, these are, like, you got children and they are now in your movie. And it's... And I think the corn drought is supposed to, um... Tell us, the audience, why the children may have helped he who walks behind the rose commit the initial sacrifice of the town. Oh, it helped the corn grow. So it... Yes. It's never information we're given, but what I take from seeing that is uh, kind of a classic folk horror You got your old god here wanting sacrifice, Mm -hmm. and he's promising you fresh crop for the sacrifice i think i would just work more with the adults than children but children are easier to manipulate that is true also children are children so they're fucking sociopaths but anyway yeah but like as i was saying we are introduced to joby kind of like our main character who is going to narrate parts of this film and he kind of just has like a whiny high voice but like it's five-year-old voice. But it's also a five-year-old voice, so it works. Um, Joby and his dad enter a diner, um, and Joby's just kind of, like, narrating his day, like, about how his mom and his sister are back at the house because his sister is sick, and how that morning, how um, Isaac had called the kids to the cornfield for, like, a sermon, and how his... I don't think Joby's dad is ever named... No, we never really get any, like, humanization of the adults. Yeah. Until we get to, like, Bert and Vicky. I know there's a couple adults with, like, a name tag that work in the diner scene. But at the same time, we don't get a lot of background information with this town, which is so unlike King's work in the stories he writes. Like, I'm currently halfway through it. There are characters that have never made it to the movies that he feels like it's important to tell you about these characters and their last moments because it helps you understand 
the world of his story. Yeah, and they did not do that in this movie. So Joby's dad is unnamed, but um, Joby mentions that his dad doesn't like Isaac and so kind of just forbade him from going into the cornfield that morning. Um, but anyway, they enter Hal's Diner, I think it's, it's called. Joby sits down to get his regular strawberry milkshake and um, his dad goes to the phone to call his wife and, you know, ask about, like, his daughter who's sick. The wife is worried because, like, the kid's, like, fever has gotten up to 104 or something like that. As this kind of scene is being narrated, Joby also kind of drops the fact that his sister has, like, as she's going through this fever, she gains prophetic visions. And also, like, while this child is horribly, horribly sick, she's drawing in can like crayon on a piece of paper without looking at it. It kind of threw me out of the scene because I'm like, I've been really fucking sick, and I wasn't, and I've never been able to do anything when I'm really fucking sick. But somehow, this like child is like 104 degrees drawing a crayon prophetic vision of the future. Well, like all of Stephen King's work, he connected to each other. I don't know if you knew this. I don't know. So, the Stephen King universe, all things are pretty much canon with his name on it. Mm -hmm. There are obviously moments of the multiverse with, like, things like The Mist would be a world-ending event. Yeah. But, like, psychic children specifically are such a focal point in a lot of his stories. You got Carrie. You got Danny. You got... Little Sarah here, you know, all these psychic kids that respond to whatever evil they're facing, be it high school or a clown. Yeah. And it's very interesting for me because, like, I'm looking at Sarah in this scene and it's like, why does uh, psychic powers always kind of come off as spectrumed child? Yeah, and also, like, uh, that is, that is a point. And also, for me, it wasn't that this kid has become psychic, because we're talking about children of the corn here, it's gonna get funky, but it was more that this desperately ill child is scribbling in crayon while she's desperately ill. I was just like, why not just have her, like, a scene of her, like, after she's, like, done sick or before she's sick drawing? I don't know why. It just kind of threw me out of the loop with the, uh... I feel like it's the magic taking over the person. Oh, like she's being possessed or something like that? And so she yeah. Draw. Okay, okay, that makes Like a Pazuzu moment, but uh... instead of a demon, it's the magic that you inherit. Yeah, the vision. Like, the vision has to be drawn, like... No choice. All right. But anyway, as Joby is just kind of in-house diner, um, we kind of noticed some sus stuff going on. Uh, Malachi, I believe, is in the back playing a, like a game. And then we see Isaac come through and look through the window. And a kind of tension starts to build in like the, the diner. Um, one of the kids locks the front door. And then we kind of see Isaac look specifically like at the coffee pitcher and then at like the young like uh, waitress as she serves everybody coffee. And we clearly get a uh, Oh, the coffee's been poisoned, and the coffee was poisoned. And when all when all the adults start seizing out, the kind of teenagers just jump them all with like I, I think it was like farming supplies, so and like kitchen in knives. Quick succession, we get a total of four people poisoned in this scene. 
Uh, one person's throat was slit by a machete, but they were already poisoned. Yeah. We see a butter knife of all fucking things go into someone's gut. Yeah. Uh, or implied psycho style. Yeah. And going with the implications, we watch someone's hand get pushed towards a deli slicer. Which, oof. Yeah, that's fuck. fucked. I've had small cuts from those things at work, and it just... No, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. And the last kind of kill we see in this quick scene is just this butcher's knife going into someone's back over and over again. And as this chaos of like, it's only, what, eight people dying that we see in this scene. But uh, the town's residency is about over 4,000 people. I looked at this online. Yeah. I'm not going to count them because we don't see we them. We don't see them, but... Uh, but this is like a children on adult genocide. Ma- yeah, massacre. Um, also, Joby watches his father just be killed right in front of him. He never seems like really, really traumatized about that, but like... I guess he's also a child, and also this is child acting, so, you know. Not everyone's a Kubrick. They can't get the performance out of a child. Exactly. But anyway, after Joby watches his his father being killed, we kind of have this last scene with Sarah as we get to see her completed drawing is children murdering parents and all smiling. And then after that kind of drawing... We are shown a series of other drawings that Sarah has done, all of... It kind of is a synopsis of what happened to get to this point. And we also fail to mention that we hear both Sarah and Job's mother die over the phone during the diner scene. So, like, I think that's to uh, implicate that it is, in fact, happening all over town. Yeah, everywhere. Like... Like, for every, like, household that has a kid, you're, that kid's killing you. And then spreading throughout the entire town. And, yeah, and Sarah's illustrations just pretty much narrate the massacre of Gatlin and then this kind of rise of corn worship, pretty much. All hail corn. All hail corn. Sorry. Sorry. No, no. Go! Sorry. Sorry. Moving on, moving on, moving on. We then cut to a motel, which um, kind of actually was kind of cool, was where Sarah had like a crayon drawing of like a car at a motel, and then like you pull that aside, and it's a legitimate car at a hotel. A couple is celebrating the dude's birthday. Um, he gets a lighter with his engravings on it, which I guess, but also this is a lighter and you're getting it for a doctor. I don't think he smokes because- Well, this is 84. This is when they still kind of promoted cigarettes. Oh, because I was And this is based even further back in time, I believe. Oh. So, like, they really pushed cigarettes for a while. Oh, because I was just like, why the fuck are you getting a lighter for a doctor? Like, I I don't think the man would smoke cigarettes, but I mean, hey. They still push cigarettes to this day, and we know they're bad. Real fucking bad for you. Not doctors, but, like commercials now yeah his wife or not his wife but his girlfriend who she hints at kind of through the beginning part of the movie that like she's waiting for him to like drop like the the you know like will you marry me bomb and he hasn't yet and they've been in a relationship for like more than four years and she's kind of just getting like okay 
like I'm moving across the country with you for your new job. I would like to have some reciprocal like exchange. Marry me, cough, cough. Exactly. The dude who we find out his name is Bert has Bert. Uh, just graduated a medical school and that he is moving um, or he they are both moving to Seattle so he can bring begin his apprenticeship at a hospital and his girlfriend Vicky is moving there with him. We then um, kind of cut to them uh, kind of just both in the car like driving because they are driving to Seattle and they're obviously driving through Nebraska at this point of time just driving through the endless flat plains of the Midwest. Yes. And well, uh, all you get to look at is corn and desert. And yeah. look, more corn. Oh, sometimes there are fields for cattle. So it's cattle, corn, cattle, corn. Anyway. Kettle corn? <laughs> no corn. I'm sorry. I fucking, love kettle corn. Kettle corn is fucking delicious. Anyway, moving on. So they're both just in the car. Um, and they kind of get into a little bit of an argument about his internship. And I think also just about her being like, hey, again, like I'm moving with you across the country away from my supposed like friends and family like... Do you want to ask me to marry you? No? Fuck me, I guess. And then we cut to the kids, where again, um, Joby is narrating the scene, where we see Joby and, uh, or Job, um, and Sarah following another kid that they have dubbed Joseph, who is trying to leave. Apparently for Job and Sarah, they both don't agree with um, Isaac. Uh, they don't like how, apparently they're not allowed to play or listen to music or play games. And so they don't like being you know, in the cult anymore. And Joseph doesn't like it as well. And Joseph is running. And he tells them that he's that they can't come with him. That he doesn't think he'd be able to escape with like extra members kind of like weighing him down. I can't look after you guys too. Yeah, exactly. So he's planning on making a break for it. But when he's safe that he'll come back and he'll get them. Also, he also um, kind of like reveals the fact that Isaac and Malachi can't find out about um, the pictures that Sarah keeps drawing. And anyway, so he's like leaving the siblings and that, you know, he promises that he'll come back to rescue them. Also, how he's leaving is that he's just gonna kind of like make a break for it through like, you know, the cornfield with kind of just like a suitcase that he has with him. And then he tells them to like keep a lookout. And so they go to like the opposite end of like this kind of little area, this corner that they're at. And they both call out that no one's here at it's the top of their voices. The worst type of like, it, they're children. They are you fucking know? children. You, you ask like what arguably look like the youngest kids in this cult yeah. to be your lookout. So of course they're going to be like, I don't see anyone. And, and also, as soon as Joseph docks into the cornfield, they both leave their positions to go where he left to wave goodbye to him. Kind of ditching the whole purpose of their jobs or why they're there. They had one job. They had one job and they fucked it up. But also, they're fucking children. So I guess that's on Joseph. Back to the car. They're having kind of a grand old time. They find out that every time they try to click through the radio, that there isn't any music playing. They've just kind of entered the Bible belt where it's just crazy sermon after crazy sermon, like blasphemy, like no gay people and no sex. Bid him out to his lordship. And that that's all that's playing on the radio. We're fucked. Yeah, yeah, you're fucked, man. They keep trying to flip through it. They're not finding anything. 
at least they have a good sense of humor about the whole situation because they just kind of join him in this kind of expiation type oh, yeah. of chance. Yeah, exactly. Like when they when like you hear the preacher on the radio really getting fevered, they're both like, Oh yeah. Amen. Amen. But you can tell they're taking the exactly. piss out of it. Exactly. They're like, yeah, and no TV and no telephone. Oh yeah, definitely no sex ever. Like, Never, not once. With five fucking kids. No. Definitely not having sex. And anyway, and so they're poking fun of it. They both clearly kind of just don't buy into it, and they're just poking fun of it. And that's where we kind of hit this collision of two different views, where we see Joseph running through the corn, being stalked, and then his throat being slit by who we later come to know as Malachi, and then also the car driving down the road, where we see Joseph run out onto the road, Joseph is fucking slammed into by the car and just, like, is flown fucking forward. Both Vicky and Bert kind of freak out. Bert gets out of the car. Like, he is, like, a... He is now a doctor, so he gets out of the car. And, and Vicky's hoping it's an animal. Yeah, if Vicky doesn't want to look. She's like, I, I, it was an animal, right? Um, but Bert gets closer, and, like, when he turns over the body of the kid, one, clearly the kid's dead. Also... The kid is bleeding from, like, a slash wound across his neck. So Bert's like, this is... Obviously not completely my fault. Uh, not completely my fault, and I will grab onto anything that, like, excuses me from killing a kid. Vicky runs out and is clearly like, oh, shit, we just killed a kid. And Bert is like, hey, go back to the car, lock the door, and wait for me. Something susses up. I'm gonna just be wandering around. I think he also tries to say something along the lines of... We didn't kill the kid. He was already as good as dead. Yeah. That's not true. Yeah, no. Just because you had the final tap doesn't mean... Yeah, that you're excused. But, like, I get it. They didn't want to, like... You don't want to be, like, you know... You don't be responsible for killing a kid. So anyway, Vicky goes back to the car and dissociates. And Bert uh, goes investigating. Um, I think he grabs, like, a tire iron from the back of the car or something like that. And starts walking towards the Karn, where we again switch perspectives. Um, the perspective of the killer as it watches Bert leave the car. And then we, as the killer, walk towards the car. Um, I can kind of see, like, there's moments where, uh, especially following Malachi, it's almost kind of that Michael Myers POV. Yeah. Like, they very much treat him like, you know, your slasher character and that's what he kind of is like throughout the entire kind of like movie is that he wants to kill people he is all too happy to kill people whenever killing needs to be done they call malachi because he seems to genuinely enjoy it as we kind of get this switch in perspective it goes back to bert who finds um the kind of bloody suitcase like on the edges like in like um in the cornfield and notices that the blood is still like warm so it had to have been seconds earlier we then kind of switch back to perspectives from the killer who leaves the corn to kind of stalk around the car we then switch perspectives to vicky who wakes up from like i guess a dissociative nap that she was taking um she then freaks out when she can't find bert So she unlocks the car door, steps out, and walks out, calling for Bert. Okay, listeners, if you ever find yourself in this type of situation, do what the other person said and stay put. Yeah, like, just lock your car doors. Just stay in the car, right? Save as you can get. 
But anyway, luckily it's all a dream because Bert, we, we come to with Bert um, having unlocked the door and opened the door and shaking Vicky awake. So luckily she did the stupid thing, but only in a dream. So Bert has come back. Uh, they both get in the car. Bert also takes Joseph's body. He wraps it in something and he puts it in the trunk of his car, which you're not really supposed to do with dead bodies because you're supposed to leave them there for evidence, but like... Yeah, that's definitely tampering with the crime scene. Yeah. Like, I understand what you're trying to do, not get it, like, not have the kid's body further mutilated by traffic, but like, there was no one else on that road. Yeah. And also, I mean, my first instinct nowadays would be to like call the police and just have them like come to you, but... This is 84 and they don't have cell phones. They don't have cell phones. So I guess this is the best they can do. So they get all back in the car and they drive off. We then switch to Jode and Sarah playing in the old house. Specifically their old house, which as Jode narrates the scene, they are not supposed to be. He even like has spoken of earlier how like listening to music is kind of illegal in this kind of dictatorship cult that they're in. But they are playing Monopoly, they've dressed up in like their parents' clothes, they're laughing, they're having a good time until Malachi has somehow teleported into the house. Malachi, he just gets places. I mean, my theory is that he has, like, the ability to just, like, walk through corn where as long as there is corn within so, like, so, like, you know, few feet from everywhere else, he can just, he'll touch the corn and he'll just teleport through the corn to the other, to to wherever he wants to go. I know I talked about this in, like, our previous episode that this movie's very similar to, like, in The Tall Grass, but, like, in that movie, the grass can will you to a place that's impossible to get to yeah so i'm wondering if like this is just an earlier version of that for stephen king so yes he can uh like walk through the corn yeah nice um but anyway so malachi interrupts um jode and sarah uh but then we cut to um vicky and burt back in the car as they're discussing the fact that the child they found had already been pretty much killed, that there was a gash, that he was bleeding, and they're discussing the fact of what the fuck is going on, who would kill a child, says the child killers. But anyway, (laughs) moving on, um, we switch back to Jode and Sarah, who have been brought to Isaac, this smaller child in this kind of, like, praying room. It has, like, a bunch of, like, corn iconography like some sort of worship i think this is just like they converted the old church into their new church Uh, so i think this is like the confession room yeah or or something like that or something like that because uh don't uh i don't know my christians that well but don't baptists and catholics do the confession stuff Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't really like a confessional, it looked like. I think it was probably just like an office for a priest or something like that that they had taken over. But anyway, so the kids are brought to Isaac, and Malachi is telling them, Isaac, that, you know, he fought, saw, found them breaking the rules, that they had been in, like, an old house, um, playing games, listening to music, all legal things. Isaac, though, approaches specifically Sarah and grabs, uh, or no, no, Malachi has a piece of paper in his belt that he pulls out and hands to Isaac. And when Isaac unfurls it, 
it is a picture that Sarah drew of these outsiders arriving to the town. Isaac then labels Sarah as like a seer or someone who has the sight and seems very keen on keeping her kind of like close or at least still very much a part of the cult. When Malachi brings up like, hey, how are we going to punish these guys? Isaac is like, that's not important. And, you know, I, Malachi gets pissed. There's clearly some sort of power play going on. Well, it's kind of like your uh, classic Greek-like oracle type of situation yeah. with Sarah. You know, you're mad king, yes, but you're gonna listen to your fucking oracle. Yeah. So, Isaac is like, this is fine. They weren't breaking the rules too bad. Also, Sarah is a seer and we want her part of the group. And then Malachi's pissed. He's like, no, 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 these kids broke the rules. They should be punished. That's also when Malachi also tells Isaac about, like, what are we going to do with these outsiders? And Isaac kind of just was like, hey, look, just... Um, and he, he tells them how to deal with them. Um, he tells them about how they just need to be sent to, like, the old man. And he kind of just, like, lays out a plan to deal with the outsiders. We then flip to Vicky and Bert, who are in the car. Bert has managed to kind of convince Vicky to open joseph's suitcase which they do they just kind of find um clothes a small pocket knife like matches a corn cross yeah yeah corn cross but bert does kind of just speak about the fact that the suitcase is filled with camping supplies um and how that's kind of just you know a little odd but then joseph had planned to like try and walk towards the nearest city just down the road so yeah he figured he'd be camping during the night and then, yeah, also the very weird corn cross, which I find odd that Joseph would bring with him when he wants nothing to do with the cult. Well, you want nothing to do with the cult leader. This kid, with the throwaway line we get later, it's about three years since this cult has uh, oh. taken over. So this kid has been a part of this pseudo-pagan religion for three years so yeah, you're running away from your cult leader because you're scared of him. But at the same time, this is still your religion. That he People has. who survive real life cults still have to like unindoctrinate themselves after escaping. Yeah, so I guess he's still indoctrinated because he did bring that uh, cross with him. As they're driving down the road, though, they find um, they kind of there's that switch in perspective where we switch to an old man who seems to be fixing a car with his dog, Sarge. Um, and then we switch back to uh, Bert and Vicky, who pull over at this gas station and kind of approach the man. The man, though, tells them, there's no diesel, there's no gas. You're going to have to leave. I don't have anything for you. Get out. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, we just need to use your phone. And he's like, I don't have a working one either. And they're like, oh, well, I guess we'll be just going on to the nearest town. Gatlin. Gatlin. Thank you. Gatlin. And the old man is like, no, it's full of religious people. They wouldn't have a phone either. You have to go to the next town. Um, and what is it? Hemingford? Hemingford? Hemingford. Hem Hemingford. Um, that's where they'd have a phone. That's where there would be people to welcome you. Don't go to Gatlin. He kind of seems spooked at that. but He's your classic harbinger. He is, yeah, the kind of classic harbinger. So they get back in the car. They start driving. Sarge, though, starts freaking out, starts barking, and we see the clouds in the sky moving oddly. Like, against the wind, with the wind, to side to side, like, the clouds become sentient. Yeah. And Sarge starts freaking out until he bolts and runs into the cornfield. 
we then kind of get this kind of switching back and forth between the couple and the old man. Uh, the couple in the car um, are driving down the road and they come across this weird series of signs where they first see one to Gatlin and it says like three miles and then Hemingford is 19 miles. They go towards Hemingfield. We then- Ferd. Heming, sorry, Hemingford. We then switch back to the old man who has um, now started to hear thunder and giggling. He, you know, kind of yells into nothing that he claims he had kept the bargain that he made. We then switch back to the couple. They keep driving past more and more signs for Gatlin. And Um, as they pass the signs, the mileage decreases each time. Exactly. But they haven't found any signs for um, Hemingford. We then switch back to the old man who kind of has thought he saw something in his shop. He goes in, there's nothing there. He goes out and the hood of his car that he was fixing has been closed. He opens it and he finds, very sadly, the bloody bandana of his dog. Um, He then hears movement or he sees movement in the garage and he goes to investigate. We then kind of switch back to the couple. They have now driven off onto a dirt road into what appears to be some sort of corn maze and they are now kind of really freaking out a little bit like because they're like where the fuck are we how did we get into a corn maze i assume uh this is like no they deliberately turned onto this road i remember this you might have been taking notes Mm. but it was at the like gatlin one they turned on it was immediately a dirt road yeah and this is kind of like what i would expect to be the kind of service roads to perhaps get from like pump to pump yeah they also kind of have a non-logic like sentience about them it's like when you turn a corner and then you see just more corns you turn around but the way back is just more corn like yeah the corn's definitely shifted and moving we then cut to the um garage with the old man who is kind of just we now see is hidden in the shadows, surrounded by children, as they kind of all just grab weapons and go in for the kill. We then cut to the couple who has managed to drive out of the cornfield maze back to where they were at the gas station, and they both have decided, let's just go to Gatlin, like, fuck the old man. I think, I think the, uh, Bert even says something about how he hopes that he'll never see the old man in his, like, emergency room because he wouldn't help him. The old man's dead. We kind of get, like, a bloody, like, shadow. We see various weapons, like chains. Yeah. The, uh, Malachi's, like, initial machete type of deal. Yeah. And, like, other weapons used on the man. So we can just assume what happened. Exactly. Yeah, he's not alive anymore. We then cut to this clearing surrounded by corn where we see Isaac holding a sermon. Also in this clearing is a cross with a very long dead police officer strung up on the cross. And Isaac is just kind of walking through these like rows of children talking about how he had received visions of how Joseph had gone against the creed, how he had betrayed them, and how he had to have been killed, and then also how... Uh, There are outsiders now approaching the town. It has all been foretold and how these outsiders must be killed. And then the kind of like leader of the sermon, Isaac, goes on to mention he who walks behind the rose. 
and that he is like the kind of giver of these visions and these fortunes and that Isaac is this voice piece for this deity? He's the prophet. Yeah, he is the prophet for he who walks behind the rose. And as this kind of service is going on, we see Jode and Sarah who have kind of snuck in in the back. They're still actually in the corn and they are kind of just hiding there as they listen to this sermon going and like, wow, these are some crazy fuckers. I wonder how many times Joby and Sarah have done this. Like, just like peeked in on these sermons that apparently neither of them are still allowed to. Yeah. So like, yes, they're children, but I think Isaac recognizes that they're not a part of the cult. They're not believers. Like, they didn't show up for the initial, like, sermon that started all of this. But they're kids, so they can't be killed. But they're still clearly, like, outsiders of this group. We then cut to Vicky and Bert, who have entered a deserted Gatlin. Like, there are tumbleweeds, like, rolling through, like, the center road. There is clearly no one fucking here. If you see this town, you don't go looking around building to building. No. You know it's deserted. Exactly. Like, I have driven through deserted towns, and I haven't been like, oh, I want to get out and see what's going on. No, I look around. I don't see fucking anyone, not even no cars either, because there weren't any cars like on the main road, I think. And I'd have been like, yeah, I'm going to just drive through or turn back around and go to the nearest town. But they stop at um actually um, Hal's Diner, I'm pretty sure, walk in to find the cafe covered in drying corn husks. He tries the phone. It's obviously dead. They see rats. In the cafe. A really cute rat, though. A really though. cute rat, though. I love my rat actors. I don't know. Rats honestly make wonderful pets. They're such good pets. They are. We also see kind of in the shadows children who are clearly, like, stalking these, like, as they've called, outsiders. As um, Vicky and Bert leave the cafe, we see kids have kind of tinkered with their car a little bit, but um, they come, but Vicky and Bert come out soon enough where they just scatter. Like, they've opened the doors because... Bert didn't lock them, but to be fair, he thought this was an abandoned town. You still lock your car. You especially lock your car in an abandoned town. I know we live in a small town where, like, you can kind of get away with that, but abandoned town, there's someone watching. I mean, I lock my car doors, so... Hey, good for you. You're smarter than most people. Yeah, (laughs) I just don't want anyone sneaking in and jump scaring me. The Vicky and Bert coming out of the cafe kind of scatter the kids, and they get back in their car. Now, Vicky at this point in time is like, we need to go. There's no one here. Let's just drive to Hemingford. It's only be about an extra 20 minutes now anyway. Let's leave. This is scary. Let's leave Bert. Yeah, let's leave Bert. But Bert decides to stop at a house he saw vague movement in. Bert's the worst. Bert's the fucking worst. Uh, And he enters and kind of Vicky just follows in after him. And they kind of just, as they've, they've just entered, they've just broken and entered into someone's abandoned house. So, you know, more crimes on top of the child killing. And they're kind of just exploring the house. I believe Vicky finds a, it wasn't a newspaper, but it was like um, some sort of like Sudoku puzzle thing. And the date shows that it's three years old. So we now know it's been like kind of at least three years since anyone has lived in that house. Um, And, you know. And that's why I kind of think this... This is yeah, massacre took past, place three, three years, years ago. ago. Yeah, but as they're kind of just wandering through the house, the phone cord has been like cut, 
and uh, as Bert wanders through, he finds several, like, creepy kids' drawings that Sarah has done, and then they find Sarah. Sarah, who is obviously kind of spooked by adults since she haven't, hasn't seen one in about three years, but, you know, Vicky kind of gets down, like, you know, you know, crouches down and kind of asks Sarah, like, hey, where are your parents? Sarah tells them that all of the adults are in the cornfield, and Vicky's like, okay, why are they there? And Are like, they working? Are they working? And Sarah's just like, Isaac took them there. And like, if I had a child tell me that my parents have all gone to the corn where Isaac told them to, I'd, I'd get the fuck out of there. But Vicky and Bert don't have my survival instincts, and so they're like, okay, odd, but that's fine. Bert has decided to go back to town to go to the town hall to try and find people um and he leaves the cars and he leaves the car and keys with vicky who's gonna kind of like watch after sarah vicky and sarah kind of just bond and stuff like that and burr who walks back to town as he's walking through one he finds that all of the businesses and buildings are covered in corn on the inside also he just walks past a window that has he who walks th- like through the row, like what? He who walks behind the rows yes. knows all written on a window and just fucking walks past it. Like this guy, he, like, he's never like read a horror story yeah, in his life. Never in his life. Like if I was walking through a town and I saw, and I looked through two windows and seen that both businesses are covered in corn on the inside, I'm getting the fuck out of there. I mean, I think the best thing about genre film, especially horror, is like, as a fan, you watch this and you know exactly what point you'd leave. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what point. I would have left long before. I would have never stopped in this town. But anyway, as Bert is wandering this corn-covered town, and Vicky is back at Sarah at Sarah's old house, Malachi and his kind of band of kids are stalking the house, and other, like, kind of unknown or unnamed kids are stalking Bert as he wanders through town. As Bert goes into, I think, the police... Um, what do they call it? Police building... Police. The precinct? Thank you. I think he goes into what's I think he goes into the police precinct just because we see straw men police officers. Also, there on a wall is written in red like uh, no other gods. No false gods. Oh, no false gods. And he keeps walking. We also see that um Job has also started to stalk Bert but then is scared off by the other kids he sees stalking him. Sarah and Vicky are kind of just chatting at Sarah's old house. Sarah, though, starts to show Vicky drawings, some of her drawings, and I think um, Vicky looks down and kind of sees her being crucified as, like, you know, Sarah has drawn it out, and Vicky hears something down in the hall. We don't even see the picture at first. Vicky just says, what is this? Oh, yeah. And then, like, this next part happens. Exactly. Well, it's Malachi and the homies, and uh, <laughs> they're not here to have fun, I'll tell you that. Or they're here to have their kind of fun. What? Uh, Malachi and the homies and don't want to have fun? <laughs> don't have fun. 
<laughs> or Malachi will be having fun, but no one else will. Anyway, pretty much uh, Vicky is taken from the house, kind of just like at knife point, and Sarah is left traumatized in the corner. Back at the police, what I believe to be is the police station. It's either that or the town hall, and it was like, where you have the security guy, you know? Oh, yeah, it could have also been that. But anyway, Bert finds a drawing of a dragon flying above a cornfield, burning like a blonde woman who kind of looks like Vicky. The furthest resemblance to her you could ask for, though. Yeah, but it all was drawn by a child, so I'm not asking for much. I'm asking for hair color, and that's it. Vicky's a brunette. Shit, she is? Oh, fuck. Well, I mean, he sees like, a drawing of a dragon burning someone, then. He kind of, like, hears, or, like, at least us, the viewer, hears, like, him telling Vicky earlier that this town is safe. Because Vicky asks him, hey, is it safe here? And he replies, it's weird, but it's safe. And he just is fucking eating his words as he looks at this drawing of a woman being burned alive. He freaks out, so he runs back to the house. And it is way fucking too late for that. This happens kind of like interlapping with Vicky being kidnapped. Yeah, exactly. And those words play across the screen, not said by him, but like a recounted memory. And I feel like it's almost like that he himself got this, like, innate little psychic spark right then. Yeah, he was looking at this picture of a woman being burned alive and been like, you know what? After looking at five dozen rooms filled with corn, maybe this place isn't safe. I have a feeling what about that the all these scarecrows might be a bad foretelling. Yeah. Cops, scarecrows, no false gods. Uh, yeah. He who walks behind the rose sees all. Maybe it is a bad place. Maybe it's not safe here. But anyway, uh, we then flip to um, Isaac and Malachi arguing again. Isaac is telling Malachi that he, you know, quote unquote, is displeased with Malachi. And then Malachi is like, why would he be displeased with me? And Isaac goes, well, you didn't follow my orders. You killed the old man who we still had use for. And, um, okay, there was another thing that Malachi had fucked up. But anyway, I... He was supposed to give a gift with killing Joseph. Oh, yeah. Because with most gods, you don't just give them a sacrifice. You give them a gift as well. So it's like, you not only insulted our god by killing Joseph too early... But you insulted our god by giving us our only outside exports before we were ready. Before our god was ready to send us exactly. out. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And there's another thing about how Isaac also mentioned that, yeah, that outside export was also the only place they could get gas. And uh, Malachi was like, well, don't we have some? We're getting some from the corn. And as Isaac like is... That's not enough. So Isaac is clearly the brains of the operation. I feel like he is the true prophet. Yeah. When Malachi is very much a Judas, a false prophet even. Exactly. Because, well, Isaac keeps telling everyone that he is the one who hears he who walks, like, you know, behind the rose. He is the voice of this deity. And Malachi is just like, well, maybe, maybe he's angry with you. And Isaac is like, no, I am literally who he has chosen to be the voice. You keep fucking up. 
Malachi don't like that that much. Malachi greedily seizes power in this scene, doesn't he? Um, I don't think that's till... No, 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 that's not until later. That's not until later? This is just Isaac being like, you don't know shit, and Malachi is, you know, being like, fuck you, I guess. Fuck you, uh... Mm, Fuck you. Who says you're right? Yeah, exactly. Um... You're not my dad, I killed him. Exactly. (laughs) We switch to Bert, who has kind of, like, freaked out, and is kind of, like, just shaking Sarah, like, Sarah, where's Vicky, Sarah? And Sarah's like, fuck if I know. A little traumatized, probably. Oh, definitely when fucking traumatized. It's been at least over three years since an adult has shaken her like that. And also, she probably witnessed her mom being killed and Vicky being stolen from the same house her mom was killed in. Probably just bringing up some bad memories. And, like, Sarah was so ready to just, like, become Vicky's child Oh, so scene. ready. So ready. Traumatized child... Besides the point, Burr runs out of the house and as he walks, because there's corn fucking everywhere, the corn opens up for him and tries to beckon him in with like a, like a soft voice of Vicky calling out for help. It's very much that cabin in the woods, take a walk outside scene. Exactly. And like, Burr walks in. The motherfucker. Motherfucker. The corn opens the path for him, and he's like, All right, I guess I'll walk in. You'll forget this by the time we see the movie, but like the moment in the tall grass, you walk into that grass and you no longer see the road, it's too late. You can't get out of that trap in that movie. Oh, yeah, no. So So that's why Bert fucked up. But luckily. Bert's dead in the better version of this movie. Exactly. But, well, for Bert, he hears a kind of like bell from the church ringing and so he leaves the cornfield and runs towards it we then switch to vicky who is being crucified on the corn like and not like uh nails being driven through the wrist crucified but like tied up to yeah, tied pull and up beaten. stalks yeah yeah tied and beaten to like corn stalks and like kind of rested against this like wooden like crucifix with a circle of children around her chanting Kill, 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 kill. She will be remembering this for the rest of her life um, if she manages to survive. We then switch back to Bert, who has who has run up to the church. And as well, as he's running towards the church, we switch again points of view to, I believe his name is... So, so we got Joby, Malachi, Isaac. Oh, Amos, Amos. Amos. Yeah, we, we cut to a young... Young, kind of like, okay, I was going to say, like, yeah, young man who is cutting in, cutting into his own chest. Um, kind of like the the star. Of, yeah, the your, tip, your typical pentagram star. Yeah, the which pentagram is star. not an evil symbol. I hate it being used as an evil symbol. Yeah. But this is the time where, like, satanic panic, that is evil. Yeah, so he's carving into his own chest this yeah pentagram and then he's catching his own blood in a bowl made out of corn beautiful beautiful and as he's handing this off to it appears to be like a priestess who has taken this blood and also a knife whose hilt is made of corn and it's just like ah and now we shall all drink from like uh amos and that's when Bert fucking bursts through the front doors. Hold and, the fuck on. Yeah, hold the fuck on and interrupts the ceremony of blood and corn, I guess. 
And as Bert is like, what the fuck are you doing? The priestess is like, you're not allowed to be here. You're an outsider. You are polluting the space. And the guy's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she's like, it's written. And he's like, in the Bible, which you have in a pile? I don't even think any of you can fucking read. He Um, says my favorite thing, which, you know, I can relate with this with many bad Christians. mm -hmm. I've met good Christians, but like... Many bad Christians pick and choose what yeah. verses of the Bible and how they want to twist that to yeah. their own narrative. Yeah. But anyway, as he's just kind of like, you know, just ranting to these children, it's kind of revealed through conversation that when a kid reaches the age of 19 years old, they kill themselves to rise above and give themselves over to their deity. When Bert is like, what the fuck are you talking about? The priestess sends one of the children to, well, first she says, oh, go get Isaac. And then she's like, wait, get Malachi. And all the kids go, ooh, someone's in trouble. Because, you know, Malachi is kind of like the designated butcher for this cult. Well, I also feel like that's the moment heresy starts to take the cult. Yeah, uh, yeah, false prophets and all that. As Bert tries to argue with the kids, they try and jump him. He uses the priestess as a shield, grabs a knife, and then makes a break for it. As he runs out of the church, the kids kind of just chase him as he flees through the kind of, like, small town. Kids just fucking start popping out of everywhere like fucking daisies and just start chasing him and eventually kind of just surround him. He does, though, manage to flee all due to Malachi's fault because he distracts the kids. Outlander! Outlander! And, like, this guy has a mouth to match the voice, you know? Oh, yeah. Big mouth, big voice, distracted everyone. Yeah, and so Bert makes a run for it. And that's when um, Job finds him, like, just pops out of a corner and is like, follow me. And to be fair, I don't think I would have followed Job. I've been like, get the fuck out, creepy kid. But Bert's like, oh, no, friendly face. Like, this kid. First kid that hasn't brandished a weapon at me. Exactly. Maybe I trust this kid. So he follows Job. And Job takes him to a bunker that his dad built, had built for the communists. Yeah, his dad had apparently been a little paranoid and had made a secret bunker underground that no one else knew about. I mean, it wasn't so secret because, like, the doors were right there. That's true. But, like, but still, like, at least no one else knew about it. Or at least anyone who did know about it had been an adult and they're all dead now, so no one knows about it. Um, But it had been a bunker made for, like, I guess a kind of like red scare where there was just like spam and canned food kind of just filling the space and that's also where his sister sarah is we then that's when we switch to isaac and malachi where isaac is like you fucker how did you fail to kidnap the dude and malachi's well like oh well let's just grab the woman drag her out there And it'll attract the dude. And Isaac's like, no, she's now entered the clearing. This is a sacred space. We can't take her out of the clearing. And Malachi's like, well, why don't we just put you up in her place? And Isaac's like, you can't do that. I'm the prophet. And when Malachi goes to grab him and like shoves him, Isaac's like, oh my God, rescue me. Kill him. Kill him. And everyone's- He's kind of your typical sniveling coward yeah. at the end of the day, which is, I think, the saddest part about Isaac. Like, yeah. I think he, 
however corrupted by he who walks the rose Isaac had become, he genuinely had the best in heart for his children, even though he was sacrificing them. It's so fucked up. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least for Isaac, he was legitimately hearing something. Isaac was hearing something. Yes, an evil deity or old god, but he was still hearing what he believed to be a true deity. And so he believed the only way to save his followers, these are the children, is by, you know, going along with his whole plot. Malachi just wants power and to kill people. So, Well, I also you know. think during the movie, you said a very interesting thing that Malachi is an older boy. So, oh, yeah. Hypothetically, he could be going towards his 19th and wanting to change those rules. That yeah. is something you brought up as a possibility. We never yeah. hear that as a confirmation or not, but like, I think that's a very smart view yeah, on why Malachi wants power. Yeah, because, um, what is it? Amos, yeah. He looks to be about Amos's age, and Amos has reached 19 where he's supposed to die and give himself up for God. Isaac is a young, young child, like half Malachi's height, so he has years until he'd be required to die for his God. But Malachi? Malachi has to be about 17 or 18, so he doesn't have long left until he's supposed to give himself up to God. And again, Malachi doesn't hear the voice of God. He is not the true prophet. And so he, but he clearly enjoys power and killing people. So he's obviously going to keep... He's the Michael Myers of the Exactly, yeah. So he wants to keep his position of power and he can do that by killing people. It is a win-win in his scenario. So um, Malachi kind of leads this um, usurpation of... Isaac and has Isaac tied to the cross as Isaac screams at the other kids, you're all gonna die. Like, he who, like, you know, walks behind the corn, Rose, whatever the fucker's name is, is going to be displeased. You will all face terrible, like, consequences. Yeah, terrible consequences. We then switch to Job, who is kind of just informing Bert what actually happened to this town, that the kids kind of had a cult, that Isaac led this coup, and that Malachi killed everybody. It's kind of a theme where it's like, oh, what happened to, like, the mayor, Malachi? It even gets to a point where, like, Bert even goes, oh, Malachi. Malachi. Because Malachi, as we've already really expressed, really likes killing people. So, you know. Um, Anyway, we then switch to Malachi, who is dragging Vicky through the streets, calling for the Outlander, like, Outlander, I have your women come and save her. But Job is in a bunker underground. He can't hear for shit. Also, like, this is Central Town, and to my knowledge of the town's layout, what little I know, the house he's in the bunker of is at the edge of town. Yeah, it's in an old abandoned, like, it's, it's a really, like... It's been abandoned for far longer than three years. He's close to the cornfield, not the marketplace. Yeah. So I just like that Malachi's, like, plan to get the Outlander, which um, Isaac was like, oh, that's not going to work. Guess what? Didn't fucking work. Yeah, so his plan was stupid. But anyway, we then switch back to Job and Sarah. They have told kind of Bert about that what's they ha- up yeah. where's the clearing exactly yeah Bert and Sarah tell when like Bert is like hey where would Vicky be they'd be like oh she would be in the clearing I think we've even seen her there and Bert's like well fuck let's go 
Um, we, okay. Okay. Uh, but we then switch to Malachi, who has gone to kind of sacrifice Amos and Isaac. Amos is, like, very, like, welcoming. He's like, oh, my God, I get to go meet God. This is fantastic. Ooh. But Isaac is still spouting, you're all gonna die, you terrible deaths. I am the true power. I am the true prophet. And no one's fucking listening to him. I mean, silly voice aside, he's right. He is right. We then switch back to um, Job and Sarah showing Bert to this old barn that overlooks the entire cornfield, where you then see the kind of clearing in the distance and these kind of like, this kind of like old dead tree kind of sticking up out of the cornfield. We then switch to Clearing's perspective, where night has really kind of dawned on the, the you know, this small town. And the kids have kind of just, you know, like sat in this kind of like semicircle where they have waited until nightfall, where they then hear these kind of like the corn moving. Um, and Amos is like, oh, time to go. It's time to die. I hear God. I hear God. I got hey, to go. Hey, it's me, your boy, Amos. <laughs> exactly. So Amos just happily trots into the cornfield where we then hear a monstrous creature scream. And yeah, Amos is no more. Isaac starts freaking out. He's like, I have always been true to you, God. Like, I've been a real homie this entire time. I have done everything that you've asked me to do. And then he is, like, consumed by this glowing, like, ick or something like that. It's this, like, terrible early computer work, CGI's, yeah. Like, this is why I'm such a fan of practical stuff. And there is practical in this movie. It's just, like, especially with older CGI where it's, like, green screen, I think. No, blue screen. Yeah. You can really see, like, how clunky it looks. Yeah, it don't look too good. But um, as Isaac is screaming, also there's just a funny scene where, like, after he's kind of just, like, consumed by this weird CGI gunk, the crucifix he's on explodes upward in a spiral. Like, the whole thing shoots up, like, out of a cartoon. It's like a bottle rocket, It's you like know? a bottle rocket. And I was like, what the fuck? I guess corn gods explode and want to go into space? I don't know. Anyway... We then uh, see, uh, after that kind of, you know, thing shocks the kids, that's when Bert rushes the kids and beats up Malachi. Like, fucking... Just beats the shit out of Malachi. Malachi yeah. didn't stand a chance. No, Bert runs in, fucking decks Malachi, and then starts preaching to these kids, like, hey, I knew you all grew up in a very highly religious area, but you all fucking killed your parents that's not okay. You have free will, you fuckers. And you can see the kids kind of go like, I did kill mom and dad. It's like, oh shit. Oh fuck, you might be right. That's when Malachi gets up and then tackles Bert. And then Bert's like, bitch! And fucking smacks the beast the shit out of him. Beats the absolute fuck out of this kid. Malachi gets his shit kicked out of him. But also... Malachi is used to killing children or poisoned adults. I don't think he's ever had to, like, go mano a mano against an actual adult. So, of course, Bert's gonna beat Malachi in a, like, one-on-one fight. None of the kids go to save Malachi. Oh, no. Not even Malachi's, like, closest henchman. Yeah, like at one point in time, Malachi screams at them to attack Bert because he's, you know, losing. And all the kids are like, fuck, I'm not doing that. I want to get hit like you just did. Yeah, you just just sat on you and slapped you. No, thank you. 
as Bert, like, you know, it kind of gets back up off of Malachi and grabs a knife, like, you know what? I know God tells you to kill people, but I'm not going to kill him. And, you know, just, like, throws the knife and stuff like that. And Malachi and lands, like, right next to Malachi's face. So it's that classic knife throw to spare the life but make you pee a little. Exactly. Um, but that is also when Isaac rises from the grave and in a voice clearly not of his own, calls for Malachi. So do you think Isaac was rejected as a sacrifice and became, like, a modern returned creature? I I don't think he was rejected as a sacrifice. I think this was probably going to be what happened to him at the end, at no matter what situation. I think Isaac had really been chosen to be a vessel or the true, like, prophet, and that I don't think the corn was ever going to let him go. That they did genuinely, I don't know, like him is the best word, but they were like, no, we've picked our true prophet. We're you not... picked the guy with the most riz. Yeah, we picked the guy who can convince all the other kids and who has done a good job so far. I think if even if Isaac had reached the age of 19 and had let himself be consumed by God, he would have still been used as a vessel even after that fact. But anyway, Isaac is back and he calls out for Malachi and just fucking kills him. That's when Bert and the rest of the kids fucking book it like we didn't sign up for this shit. As Bert and the kids all run towards the old barn that had overlooked the field, they all fucking book it in. And that's where there's like the whole kind of like family reuniting where um, Bert and uh, Job reunite with Vicky and Sarah and it's all hugs all around. But that is when the corn freaks its shit. And a storm is called and starts just battering this barn. And it's an old fucking barn. So sides of like the wood are being dented and broken in. And it appears to be all like what is left of this cult is hiding in that barn. And also there's not that many kids. One, because this is a small town. And two, because they had been religiously sacrificing everyone who grew too old or wouldn't adopt this kind of complete obedience. So there's not a lot of kids left and they're all hiding in that barn. That's when Bert starts questioning Job. Like, hey, last time, like, what were the, what were the adults doing? Like the day they were all killed, what were they doing? And Bert talks about how the, the blue man, AKA like the police officer, like the police chief, the sheriff, whatever, had been like running towards like the cornfield and specifically this barn with like a slip of paper that he also happens to have on hand somehow. You know, this this kid just went like, yeah, I'm gonna take what that dude had. And I'm like, gonna mug the cop. Oh, it's gonna it. come in handy. And it did because there's a Bible verse in it that has been like kind of like highlighted. Purge in a lake of fire for yeah. better lack of light. <laughs> yeah, and like Bert is like, what the fuck does this mean? And Vicky's like, lake of fire. He was going to burn down the cornfield with the gasoline in this old barn. And Bert's like, oh shit, that's a really good idea. Let's do it. Let's do it. He, like, uh, Bert kind of rouses the kids to um, hook up pipes to these two large gasoline tanks. And then he grabs the, like, hoses. And he also makes kind of like a makeshift, like, um, Molotov cocktail. Out Job's, like, wool <laughs> shirt. Wool, wool sweater. Um, and makes a break for it and runs outside. Um, as Bert runs out there, the corn comes alive and tries to, like, grab him and hold him down, but Job runs out and rescues him. Bert's Bert is like, very un- fuck yourself, kid. Yeah, Bert is very ungrateful. Bert is like, 
why the fuck did you come out here? Go back inside. And, like, Job was like, what? Thanks, I guess? I just You're saved fucking your, welcome. You're fucking welcome. But in, like, the five-year-old version Yeah, exactly. Burr runs up to the... Oh, God. I don't know what it's called. I'm not a farmer. But... This is like your pump well. Exactly. There is an irrigation system to keep all of these corn watered in this like dry atmosphere. And it's an irrigation system that pretty much scans like a good chunk of the cornfield. And this is the tank for that. So Bert kind of like unscrews the water tank and screws in the gasoline instead. Also, this entire time Job is helping him because... He doesn't know how to run any of this equipment because he's never, he's a doctor. He's not a farmer. He doesn't know how this equipment works. So Job has to tell them how to do everything. He's like, oh, this is where you'd hook it up. You have to start this engine and you also have to press this button to stop it. Also, you have to crank this. Bert would have not done any of this shit without Job. Despite Job being so young, I think he watched the other kids so closely as we've seen throughout this movie that of course he knows what to do he's seen them do it hundreds of times exactly also i'm pretty sure for like a cult i'm pretty sure everyone who ate had to work for it so i'm sure he was still doing tasks for the cult because that's your only food water all this has to come from this group so i'm sure also his parents were probably also farmers he's probably grown up around all this so anyway yeah the only reason why Bert is succeeding is, or succeeding is because uh, Job is there to help. As this is all going on, there's this red mist that is kind of gathering. And as Bert successfully hooks up the, um, you know, uh, pipes to, like, you know, the gasoline and starts it, and we see kind of, like, the whole irrigation start to pump and work and pump out all this gasoline, Job, uh, no, Bert lights his Molotov cocktail with the lighter that had been given him, and he fucking weak arms it. Fucking worst throw in history. Fire goes out. So fucking, fucking Job has to fucking make a dash into the cornfield to grab the Molotov cocktail and run back with this sentient cornfield chasing after him, trying and to like, grab him. It's like a something burrowing under the ground yeah, like type roots of thing. or something like that. Like almost Looney Tunes, you can tell where the thing is digging. Exactly. Joe runs back to Bert and helps shield the uh, Molotov cocktail while Bert lights it again. So honestly, Bert would have been legitimately useless without Job. Um, but luckily, the second time Bert manages to get this Molotov cocktail lit, there's that kind of like looming red cloud that's like descended on the cornfield. And this time he throws it right and fucking lights the cornfield up. The entire cornfield just... It's, explodes. It's on fire and it's exploding. Vicky and Sarah back at the barn freak out for a little bit because they're like, the entire cornfield's on fire. Are they okay? But luckily, Bert and Joe run to the cornfield just in time. And as, this is my fucking favorite part, is as they're standing there watching the entire cornfield light up in flames, you say, where's my distorted CGI face in the smoke? And like two seconds after <laughs> Anders like says this, we get this horrible like CGI dying face in the smoke of this fire and explosion. And we both fucking, I lose it at that point in time. Honestly, like, I don't think it's bad CGI without that level of okay. commitment. Yeah. Like, if you're gonna give me bad CGI, go whole hog. Go whole hog. Just, 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 just lean into it. 
at that point in time, Vicky, Bert, Sarah, and Job have in, a like family group hug. Family and... group hug. They wait till like next morning, like early, early morning, to wander back to the car that they had left. But it's it's been cornified, my dude. You left it unlocked. It's a husk of what it used to be. <laughs> We're terrible. Anyway, so they go back to the car, but like. It's been cornified. Like, there's just corn everywhere. It's clear that, like, the engine's been tampered with. I think corn has been, like, shoved into, like, the fuel tank. It's It's been fucked with. They're not driving it. These kids have learned how to sabotage with stocks. Yeah. Bert's like, I guess we're walking back to um, Henfield. No, no. Hen- Henniford? Henningford. Henningford. Yeah, I guess we're walking there. It's like, you know, 19 miles. But ooh, we can make it by the end of the day. And, and then, Vicky's like, oh, how long we got to keep you? A couple days? A week? A month? And Bert just kind of gives up and goes, okay. Which, it, somehow they came through this with, like, hinting proposal, but, like, never getting engaged, but ending up with a nuclear family anyway. Yeah, like, yeah, like... Vicky had clearly, like, glommed on to Sarah. And at this moment, like, they're all, like, talking about how they've just adopted these two children. Like, they're like, oh, you're orphans. I guess you're coming home with us to Seattle. Meanwhile, they leave, like, every other kid behind. And, yeah, like, like, fuck. Well, all those kids were, mar- like, were very much drinking the Kool-Aid. It was Sarah and Job who were kind of resistant to this cult and had never bought into it. The rest of the kids, I don't think, would have left. Like... Also, like, when Bert does one last check of his car... Oh, no, he's going to grab the map. Oh, nice. Yeah, he reaches in to go grab the map, so he's like, I can actually, like, you know, guide us out of here, which is actually pretty smart, but the priestess from earlier tries to jump him, and he fucking slams a car door in her face and just fucking knocks her out cold. I just fucking cracked up, because, like, she got hit hard. Hard. Like, there, there are a few times where, like, for instance, when, like, he takes out Malachi while running away from being chased by the yeah. group of kids. He turns around and like hits his face on something. Oh, and yeah. I don't think that was scripted. I don't think it was scripted. Like there there are just a few moments where like you'll see someone kind of fuck up a little and you're like, that wasn't scripted. But that they was di- funny as they all kept hell. it. They kept it. But anyway, after uh, after Bert fucking knocks out the priestess with his car and just kind of leaves her in the car like, yeah, just gonna leave you unconscious. Um, the kind of group of four just kind of start walking back towards the road. And we get the, uh, the end title yeah. card type of thing from it. And like, this very much is, uh, it feels weird to put Children of the Corn and Halloween in the same boat. Yeah. But they're both kind of nothing movies with a lot of, like, hype and love towards those movies. Yeah. I was honestly kind of bored throughout most of this movie. The movie does not do a good job of, like, building tension. A lot of this movie is just children stalking adults. Well, like, this is the 80s, and, like, you know, you get child death, you get evil children i think there was this kind of scare for a little while of like the antichrist and evil children and all that type of shit because you know there was the separation between church and state was getting thinner and thinner every day at the time i think for the time absolutely terrifying modern day 
this is a nothing movie. Yeah, you don't have to watch it. It's just, it's a very meh movie. Also, there are like 13 installments in the Children of the Corn series. What? Yeah, it's one of the longest running horror series out there. Like, they made a sequel to this shit? They made several sequels. They've remade it a few times. Wow. Like Children of the Corn has so much content. And we're stopping at this one. Yeah, we're stopping at this. I don't want to watch any other ones. This, um, is, this is just boring and mediocre. Like, I If you want to watch a podcast cover The Children of the Corn... Go to uh, How to Survive a Horror Movie, because yeah. they do all of them. Yeah. And, like, Have the fun. host, Ryan, he does a great job at covering the series, and I think he, like, drags his friend Derek through a lot of it, and, like, by number seven, both of them are just, like, another fucking Children of the Corn Another movie. fucking Children of the Corn. I would get so fucking sick of it so fucking fast. It's the same reason why if we cover the Puppet Master, mm. I'm stopping us at five because mm. five is the last good one I've seen. Yeah. And it's like, I think they're enjoyable franchises that even when they get bad, they can still be enjoyable. Like, I don't, like the Jurassic Park franchise, right? Like, I'm not saying that all the movies are created equal, but... You get to watch dinosaurs eat people. That's still fun. That's still enjoyable. I'm through with Children of the Corn because I didn't find anything really enjoyable about it. Like, there was that scene where Bert got his head bashed in by accident and Bert beat the shit out of Malachi. That was funny. But that's it. And I don't think they were trying to make that enjoyable on purpose. Now, I do enjoy this film a little bit more than you because I, I do love campiness uh, and I've seen, by the time I initially rated this movie, I had seen dog shit. I, I had seen, seen the worst of the worst. You've seen the worst of the worst. I haven't seen that yet. Like for me, for you, you said like 1.5 stars yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a three star for me. This is like, I can watch this. I'm probably not returning to you anytime soon. Oh, I'm never returning to this movie. I wouldn't recommend it either. So, God, like... what have you seen that, like... Well, I mean, you can raise movies at a zero, right? For Letterboxd, which I use to kind of do our yeah. stuff, the lowest score that you can rate is half a star. So, for me, half a star is zero. Okay, okay. Half a star is the worst score I can give you. Okay, well... And five star, like, my five star rating would technically be a 4.5 in this logic. Oh. Meaning, if I give it a five star, it's my favorite movie. Dope. Like, because... I think I gave Hush five stars. Yeah, no, so I did really I. enjoyed Hush. Hush is our only perfect movie. Oh, shit! Like, the only one we've both given five stars yeah, to. Yeah, but, like, this is good shit. This, Children of the Corn, not that. This is... Not even comparable. The opposite side of the this spectrum. This is the opposite side of the spectrum. This like, is folk horror, and there are good folk horror oh, yeah. movies. Oh, God, yeah. This is just not this one of them. This is not it. Uh, like, the soundtrack is actually a little bit fun. This soundtrack? is pretty good that's the only part of this movie that i really enjoyed was the soundtrack the sound design is a little goofy at times yeah there is like this is made for tv level of gore and yeah. implied gore so like you'll watch someone put a mache in someone's face and draw a line of blood 
and then they'll cut to the next scene and that character no longer has a slash down their face. Yeah. And like the CGI itself, like that will always affect how I enjoy a movie. Yeah. And I think I'm going to take it down from my three star rating and put it down to a two star. And like, I'm thinking for like older movies, like I remember watching the thing and really enjoying that movie and thinking the special effects were still good. And I think these movies were made around the same time, right? Uh, yeah, 84 and The Thing was, uh... Maybe I'll keep this in because it's funny how awkward this is getting. Yeah. So, just... The Thing was made two years before this. Yeah, and there is such a deep divide in C- the not CGI, in special effects between the two movies. Well, the only real type of CGI you get in the thing is when the alien spaceship goes to crash. Yeah. The rest they do with, like... Heavy practical. Heavy practical effects. And it the level of care and dedication really shows. It doesn't feel like the people in this movie gave a shit at all, so... This was... Getting money off of Stephen King's name yeah. because The Shining had come out and become like oh, such a behemoth yeah. of a film. And like, I-, I feel like Carrie and The Shining put Stephen King on the map. Yeah, but they're good films. They like, are. They are good really good films. They're really good films. But it got to a point where like Stephen King ended up making a uh, alias yeah. Richard Bachman. Yeah. And that alias got sussed out so fast because Stephen King has such a distinct, like, author's voice, writer's voice, that's the word, that, like, someone was noticing some certain phrases, went to, like, the Department of Licensing to see, like, who really Richard Bachman was publishing under, saw Stephen King's name, called Stephen King and was like, hey, I caught you. And Stephen King's like, do you want an interview? That was that was really fast. He was trying to use Richard Bachman to see if books were selling just because of his name or not. Oh. Because his name had become so household, so known. He became this blockbuster of a fiction author. I think he's gonna be the most prolific author of the modern age when he passes away. Is I don't that, know about prolific. What is that guy's name? Like Robert Sanson or something like that? Never heard of him. Uh, well, he's, he's a, like, just out of volumes of books written, I think he might have been written more just because All right. it's, like, let's, ridiculous. Let's measure some uh, uh, author penises real quick. What is it? I'm not saying he's better. I'm just saying he might have written more, like, be- like more books. I think it's Sanderson. Okay, what's your numbers? 71. King has published 65 novels and novellas and 200 short stories. Ah, oh, well, they're short stories. Do they count and that's just books? under his name alone. Now let's look under Bachman, because another reason he started Richard Bachman was because the press, the, like, people who yeah. were letting him do his stuff, weren't letting him do multiple books a year. Oh, Jesus. So, naturally, he... Yeah, but anyway, Brandon Sanderson writes fantasy novels. He's written, like, 71, which I think is a fucking insane number, but... I mean, either way, both of these guys have written ridiculous... Like, just ridiculous sums of books. So it only adds, like, eight more, so that's, like, 72 books. So 
they're both stupid. <laughs> so that and like Stephen King's still publishing like a book a year to this yeah. day. Yeah, God. So you know like the these two guys are just both prolific as shit. They're both prolific. Like they have the opposite problem of um, George R. R. Martin. Yeah. They have the opposite problem. This guy's written like four and a half books and cannot complete his most famous series. And these guys are like have their like. Editors being like, please stop. I cannot edit this many books. Oh, God. I got to show you a conversation. There's an interview of George R.R. R. Martin yeah. interviewing Stephen King. And George R.R. R. Martin just goes, how the fuck do you do it? How do you write so many books? And God, you know, on the subject of like authors, you just fucking crank out shit. You wouldn't give a shit at this, about this at all. But I'm very like, I read a lot of manga and one of like the most prolific mangaka i believe they're called is oda who writes one piece his editors have gone on strike because sometimes they are so overworked like their his editors have been like you can't keep writing i haven't been home in two weeks i need to go home i need to leave this office we are making enough money we're taking a month off <laughs> we're taking a month off like apparently oda has even said like He's, he's even sent, like, letters to the families of his editors, like, hey, here's some money. If they die editing my stuff, like, I'll compensate you guys. <laughs> because they just don't go home. They are my hostages. They are my hostages. <laughs> I'm keeping them literally hostage. <laughs> literally hostage, chained to their desks. Oh, uh, God. So, yeah. Yeah, no, prolific writers are insane. <laughs> and, like, insane. the mark... All of these people are going to leave on this world after they pass away if they Jesus haven't God. already. No, it's no, Matt Sanderson is still alive. And um, writing books, Jesus. Insane. Just absolute bozo nuts. But we have gone so fucking off the rails We've right gone now. so fucking... Also, Oda better not die before he finishes his series. Because <laughs> so far, he's like... God, I don't know how many like volumes in. He's like, what? Like a thousand volumes in or something like that. And it's just like, you're halfway through your story. You cannot be done. You have to finish it. The current most common oh, yeah. way Sorry. to die. Sorry, yes. Of course, the most common way to die. Burned Alive, 79. Yeah. Uh, honorable second mention. Mo various monsters at 18, I believe, is the number. I think so. Yeah, 18. And then we got me with the toilet lid and saw. Yep. And you with the corkscrew from Hush. Yep, yep. Yeah, no. So our next movie is going to be Frozen. It oh, is a very small cast. It'll be easy to remember. And much like this movie, it's going to be kind of a quicker synopsis type of episode. Mm -hmm. But you and I, I've really enjoyed that we are so much more comfortable just talking into the void. Yeah. Like, our episodes are significantly longer than our first year. Oh, God, yeah. I can believe that. I think we just went on a tangent about writers for half an hour. It's... Yeah. Yeah. So, um, until next time. Oh, this yeah, until is next time. Bodies by the Numbers, a horror podcast. And uh, we'll see you in Frozen. Bye-bye. Mm. Bye. -bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Bodies by the Numbers, a horror podcast. Our art is done by Emmy Art on Instagram, and our music is done by Disposable on SoundCloud. Links to our socials below, and we hope to see you next time.